Yeah. Welcome to the Mount Pergamore's Mush Test. Greetings and welcome to Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined as always by my good friends Michael. Uh, hello. And Richard. Howdy. <laughs> Michael and Richard. I hate not Jeff does They it. don't like each other. Uh, they don't like each other's ideas. They like each other's individuals, but all the things that they think and say uh, put them in conflict with each other on the various topics that they discuss. And this week is no different as they discuss the Mount Rushmore of soundtracks. Richard, you thought this, uh, that you chose this, right? So, Michael, why do you think Richard chose this? Well, okay. A uh, few years ago. A little bit of history on this one, yeah. A few years ago, <laughs> um, I had a party at my place. I think it was my birthday. And I got uh, into uh, an argument with my friend, our friend, Tim. And we were discussing uh, the best Disney uh, movie of all time, like animated movie. Uh, I was drunkenly arguing for the Song of the South. (laughs) Uh, Animated. Although there's an animated character in there. there, Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Tinkerbell 3, Secret of the Light, straight to DVD. Uh, (laughs) That one won. (laughs) And uh, I think he was looking at the uh, Jungle Book, which was on my bookshelf of DVDs. And uh, I was declaring that, of course, The Jungle Book is the greatest Disney animated film. And he was drunkenly... Uh, we were all drunk. You were very drunk. Yeah. Well, you know, it's my birthday. <laughs> and uh, he had declared that The Lion King was the greatest Disney animated film. Spoil- so, spoiler alert, it's Song of the South. There you go. <laughs> uh, so flash forward like a few months and uh, somehow we decide, Tim and I, to create like this Facebook group. We called it like Disney Bracketology. And on the group, uh, basically, we ranked all of the films. Um, we set them into like four different regions. It was kind of like right around like it was March. So it was like right around March Madness. I think we were kind of, quote, capitalizing on that. And uh, yada, yada, yada. The Lion King ended up winning. We went hmm. through this whole thing. It's weird. Like, Which is fine. Once every. By the way, it's not, it's not the best. It's not even close to the best. Shouldn't even been in the final four. But it's fine. Well, the, the bracket proved it right that it was the best well you set your bracket the bracket up was set up weird i think you had something else get knocked out somewhere else that would have beat it but anyway <laughs> can we get rid of this guy on the this show this is still justification for why richard chose <laughs> this category. yeah we're gonna we're come, gonna eventually get there so come back to it so after this disney bracketology thing came and went which i still get people requesting to be added like every so six facebook months group? yeah and i they're it's very strange do you send them in our facebook group instead <laughs> no damn it should uh we had some other friends who wanted to like take the ball and run with it and do like a Disneyland rides thing. Oh, uh, they failed. Utter failures. Our friends, Patty oh. and um, guest of the show, Paul Lurie, uh, who just, they dropped the ball. So Richard and I were like, okay, well let's, why don't we change it from being like a Disney thing specifically to being like a bracketology thing in general. And we were going to do like superhero movies, but then we just kind of like, eh, scrub that. And we eventually settled on, uh, Soundtrack, soundtrack albums. albums. And we set them into like four different categories. They were um, period-specific films. So like a film like Stand By Me, where the music, depend. It, it didn't matter when the movie came out. Right. It was like based on, it was like a 1950s movie. So the music was from that. The next one was musician-based movies like, um, oh. The Graduate. No, no, no. Like, uh, like Prince and uh, oh, or like, like Hard Day's Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some so musical. Like, yeah. So basically, films about an art, like mm-hmm. uh, Eminem's Eight Mile. Yeah. Films about that artist in a musical okay. context. Sort that, of context. That was one of the categories. That's two. Uh, the next one was like current. So just like any movie that 
puts out an album where the music mm-hmm. is in and around that time. And the last one was like a nostalgia based one where like the movie was based on, you know, a movie made in 2000s oh. and the, all the music was from the like 50s. the person's childhood yeah. from the seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. Uh, I didn't use any of those categories. Oh, good. Neither did I. I went with my gut. Oh boy. <laughs> is this what led you to choose this as a topic? Yeah. For I think we about? knew that we'd already talked about this and failed kind of, I, and, and I would almost argue that us trying to do this in some way kind of led us to the podcast. Yeah. I think there was some sort of like... It took a couple of years. But... This is kind of complicated. Why don't we just do four of them? <laughs> we, put, we put in all a the lot work. Easier. We put in a bunch mm-hmm. of work and just like, eh, like, we did it. You were refining the question when you... The fun is getting the answer, perhaps, or... I think part of it, yeah. too, is... Brackets become hard because then you feel like you need to do four categories to do regions yeah and like even for this the regions were starting to get kind of nebulous i just start i did like a couple of my choices were just from the same category and i was just like well these yeah. are too good to yeah to limit and i get you know that's the fun of like having like a group or like mass voting is ultimately kind of like the the cream rises to the crop and all of like is you know the kind of the shitty soundtracks kind of fade away yeah and you're like, oh, I like this one, but like, listen, nobody likes the About a Boy soundtrack but me, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, so uh, my first pick, by the way, yeah. are they? Wait, it's not your pick. It's, are I these would start first for the listener? <laughs> I guess you can start first. No, I don't I, actually I won't care. Start, I won't start L- first. Listeners, okay, come back now, listeners. If you were gone, <laughs> come back, come back. It is right before we jump off. Are these scores or soundtracks? Um, yes, there was. Well, for this episode, we didn't. I, there was no specific. Right. Criteria. So, I one of mine is musical, music only. Oh, that's interesting. It could, so, it could be a composer's original soundtrack. Could have origi- been original score for. A could have been. Yeah, I okay. definitely still kind of held to uh, when we first like laid the rules for the, the bracket. Like, I don't have any like Disney things in here because, or and I don't have like musicals. I don't have any musicals per se. Either. Yeah, I felt like those were like in and of themselves a whole other thing to talk yeah. about. I felt this is very much like. Director, creator driven choices okay. for a movie soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, my opinion on Jungle Book, however, is that I love the story that a uh, human child is abandoned in a jungle full of drunk jazz musicians <laughs> from Las Vegas. Kind of my, kind of like my childhood. <laughs> like, Honestly, God, that would be so amazing. Okay, uh, Richard, you chose the category, though. Uh, that means Michael's first. Okay, my first one is the best soundtrack of all time. This is Spinal Tap. Okay, right on. Awesome. Right on. I should point out Michael is wearing his shark sandwich. I am. Shark sure. sandwich. Uh, Richard, that might have tip, tip things two, off a little bit. Two-word review. <laughs> Shit sandwich. You can't see that. <laughs> this, I, I think that this is the best soundtrack of all time because not only did these guys have to perform like comedy effortlessly and like perfectly, they also had to write these perfect songs. Yes. Yeah. And the songs on this album are Everyone is like note perfect to sounding like a heavy metal ish kind of rock song. Yeah, right. And all of the wordplay on every song is just incredible. It's it's only like really great writers can come up with really bad, really bad mm-hmm. lyrics. Well, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I mean, like and anything from Sex Farm <laughs> or Big Bottom or Big Bottom. Yeah, I uh, obviously love this. Um, I think it's really tough. One of the hardest things to do is to make something like you said, like this, that's on one hand, the music is 
good, but also not good. Yeah. It has to like really kind of hit that balance between the songs are actually listenable, but you can also recognize that this is not the Rolling Stones or yeah. ACDC or mm-hmm. some like actual super successful yeah. hard rock metal band. This is a band that's really reliant on all the tropes mm-hmm. of kind of the genre. We fell into, or I fell into the question of whether to put this on there with actually an argument with Paul Lurie. He, he questioned why we didn't include Clue oh. on like our ensemble com- comedic movies. Well, we'd already talked about Clue. That was my thing. And we'd already talked about it recently. And we'd already talked about Spinal Tap recently. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was like, well, how do we treat these things as kind of like individual things? Yeah. But then, you know, within the context of the same season. But then I was mm-hmm. like, fuck it. This... <laughs> I think that this album is so fun because they not only they were able to kind of write songs for like their past selves as well mm-hmm. with like the uh, cups and cake song yeah. and uh, flower people, flower, flower people. people and, yeah. uh, give me some money. Give me some money. Mm-hmm. And like there was just like, I, I think they also tend to be really listenable mm-hmm. as an album. You can put it on and listen to the entire thing. Yeah. And like this is fun. It's it relives the movie, but then mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like just a really fun, yeah. fun, loud album. All right, good start. Michael, Richard, what's your first choice? All right, to run the risk of becoming... Well, I shouldn't say run the risk. As you guys know, we are the Paul Simon podcast of record. <laughs> Simoncast. Simoncast. So, um, my first choice is the soundtrack to The Graduate. Now, I, I, I love the movie. Um, I didn't realize until doing the research, I think maybe I knew it, but I didn't know it, that everything except for Mrs. Robinson, the title, the, the song, was actually stuff that was just taken from their first two albums together. It wasn't, the vast majority of this was not written for the actual movie itself. And Mike Nichols was a really big fan and decided, no, these are the songs that I need to be playing behind and kind of creating the backbone of the Mm -hmm. music for for this movie. Yeah, And so he kind of went back and combed through the first two albums and said, these are the songs I want. Went back to Simon and Garfunkel. First Paul Simon didn't really want to quote unquote sell out. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that ended fast. Yeah, boy, didn't that come to a quick and sudden end? So, all right, I'll go to to Flatten Scruggs and get some banjo music. See, we could have had Oh Brother Where Up There 40 years ago. No, and and he, they they had one song. It was actually called Mrs. Roosevelt. Oh. They hadn't had the lyrics for it yet, but they had that, the the chorus. They they knew that sort of like some sort of three-syllable name. And as Mike Nichols was talking to them, I guess Art Garfunkel said something like, hey, why don't we do that Mrs. Robinson song? Hmm. And because they just knew it was a miss, something yeah. with three syllables. And Mike, Mike Nichols like, oh, that's perfect. You have something like that? That'd be a great name for the main title, the main character. And it kind of just oh. went from there. Well, They're the perfect songs for, for that movie, which is all about kind of generational yeah. angst hmm. and sort of being disquieted and not really knowing your place in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the, Simon, what the Simon and Garfunkel songs that they chose kind of speak to that very purposefully. Even a song like The Sounds of Silence, which plays over the end of the movie after you know they've escaped the wedding and they're off on the bus and suddenly there's this realization of, oh, no. oh crap, what do yeah. we do now? You know, Sounds of Silence is the perfect song to be playing over that because it's not just lyrically, but also musically, it is... At once, it's a folk song, so it's got some peace to it, or some 
tranquility, but also at the same time, it's kind of eerie in its own way. There's like, you know, the guitar parts, it's, it's not, it's disquieting. It's, there's something about it that feels off and not quite right. And I think that one up being the perfect, kind of the perfect symbolism for what's happening at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's not, you know, kind of on reflection, it's not like a happy soundtrack. No, it really isn't. And it's not a happy movie. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, when people look back on the movie, you think about certain scenes, right? There's the iconic scenes. There's the, are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? There's the ending scene. There's, you know, plastics, all that kind of stuff. The underwater but, pool scene. Yeah, yeah. But the, the majority of the movie is just this character just sort of being adrift in the woods. He's just out of college. He doesn't know what he wants to do. And he's kind of just mimicking what would happen to that generation, certainly as the, you know, as we got deeper into the 60s and then into the 70s. And and look, Mrs. Robinson's a fantastic song, even though I don't really know what it's all about. <laughs> it is. It's one of those songs where it, the lyrics don't make any goddamn sense. Yeah. But in the context of the song, or in the context of the movie, they work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. yeah. So. It does have the description of uh, suburbia and an individual dwelling in that kind of like a, I think Mother, Mother's Little Helper, the Rolling Stones song. <laughs> or, or, or a Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that going mm-hmm. around, this sort of like being stuck in like a dystopian suburbia. Yeah. Thank God we don't have that anymore. In Garden State, Zach Braff takes music for the shins, and in Goodwill Hunting, they take music from Elliot Smith and use it to show the dissolution of the character. I think you do it very effectively, but I think they stole that from Mike Nichols in The Graduate. Sure. Uh, Garden State's interesting. It's probably not on your list, is it? No. Emily and I talked about this, and Garden State is one of these albums where the soundtrack was more important than the movie. The movie is entirely forgettable, yeah. but the way that, like, uh, Caring is Creepy and the uh, and I can't remember the other Shin song. I should know. That's how important it was, obviously. But the way that that album came out, it was like, oh, this is an important album of the music that I'm listening to that's slightly ahead of its time and was much more interesting than the actual movie itself. Yeah. New Slang, I think, was one New of the slang. New Slang, slang. thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Okay, uh, so just to put a button real quick on uh, Mrs. Robinson, I think what makes it fascinating to me is that this music wasn't really written for the movie. And the movie really wasn't written for the music, but yet they come together to be like this seamless thing mm-hmm. where it certainly feels like Paul Simon sat down and wrote, you know, eight or nine songs after having seen the movie and then went back and wrote songs based off of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that never actually happened, but it still has that feel of a mm-hmm. cohesive yeah. unit, yeah. I think is really impressive. Yeah. All right, Michael, your second choice. My second pick is from an album from 1994, and it's the single best soundtrack of all time, Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. This was... Wait, didn't you say that about... Uh, didn't you say that... Uh, Ladybugs and Robert Dangerful. Was the single best soundtrack Listen, of all the, time? The other, the other two song, the other two albums on my list might also be the single best soundtrack of all time. So, you know, who's, who's one to, to step on uh, anything? Pulp Fiction wasn't an original soundtrack, unlike Spinal Tap. I'm just Thanks, supporting. Captain Obvious. I'm just supporting you. <laughs> My work is done here. Uh, there was an interesting thing that happened in, I think it must have started in the 90s, and I don't know if it came out of like hip-hop albums, where there weren't just songs on album, there were like little interstitials and like kind of like little 
sometimes there were like comedy bits, but there were like little intros that happened like Snoop Dogg's doggy style I was thinking the, of where yeah. like there's little the Wu-Tang Clan or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there's little bits and pieces of additional like studio, mm-hmm. you know, kind of tanky panky yeah. so to speak. Nonsense. Yeah, that kind of filtered their way onto the album that became a part of the yeah. album. And I can't like I I can't divest the album from not hearing the little bits and pieces of dialogue that they included from the movie, whether it's the honey buddy, honey bunny scene at the diner that leads yeah. right into uh, the Dick Dale song yeah. or all of like the, the way that they kind of put these things together, you know, uh, they, uh, it was like you're reliving the movie yeah. through the music mostly, but through like these little bits and pieces of dialogue that like lead you right back into the scene. And, uh, I don't know. This album was like the first time I really think that I experienced some music that was kind of outside of like my little Your bubble. comfort zone. Yeah. Where like here is this, you know, Tarantino obviously has like a world of things that he draws from uh, filmically, you know, and influences. But then he has another whole world of like musical things yeah. and like the way that they were blended, like it's the movie is would be totally different without mm-hmm. the music. And I think that the best soundtracks and the best movies kind of do that where they're just, you can't hear one without the other or like they, you don't know what it would be. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you're describing ex- re-experiencing the film audibly while playing the soundtrack. So that's a use for the soundtrack that I don't think we'd even discussed how you talked about the snippet, before before the Dick yeah. Dale song, it helps you kind of realize that that song song gave so much vitality to the film. Yeah, and vice versa. Interesting. Uh, and it's hard not to talk soundtrack albums without having a Tarantino, out you know, movie soundtrack in there. Mm-hmm. But you think about like Reservoir Dogs, that was very much a very specific like place and time type of soundtrack. Like it, it's not set in the seventies, but the whole soundtrack is the seventies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's K Billy. Super sounds of the seventies. Yeah, yeah. But you look at the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, and that's when you start to get into this like real eclectic world mm-hmm. of Quentin Tarantino. That later on you see not just in the music, but just in terms of his personal like mm-hmm. loves of black exploitation or yeah. you know Sonny Chiba movies or westerns or all this sort of stuff that gets mixed in together. You know, you've got songs like from the fifties, like Lonesome Town stuff, like you know uh, Miserloo. You've got disco songs. You've got Al Green. You've got a modern band, Urge Overkill, doing a 60s Neil Diamond song. Mm-hmm. So that, it's, I mean, that's it's all over the place. And they, they played that song on K-Rock quite a bit. And I think that was... that. I don't know if I saw the movie first and then wanted the album or heard that song mm-hmm. first. I definitely had the album, definitely listened to it until it you know got all scratched up. But it was just like... It, 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 it was an album that felt important just to... Hmm. what's the word like to it felt it felt very expansive of like oh i listened to this and this is kind of all over the place this didn't yeah. feel just like you know this what came out in 93 94 it 94, wasn't yeah. it wasn't just pearl jam and it wasn't just the smashing pumpkins it was stuff that was like deeper and kind of made you feel like oh yeah. there's so much more out there and mm-hmm. from a person that like you know I, in past episodes i've talked about how like my musical history was like, I like stuff from the fifties and sixties. And then basically it was like the eighties and nineties. There was like a whole, there were decades worth of music and types of music that I'd never listened to. And this was definitely like an opening to 
you know. Yeah. Jungle Boogie was just a fucking great mm-hmm. song, too. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, I believe Richard is next. All right, now that you mentioned uh, songs that uh, soundtracks that sound exactly like 1994, oh. um, I don't know if this is the single greatest uh, soundtrack ever, but it is the soundtrack to singles. Oh. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this one's very specific, I think, to me. And, I, and, and we did talk about how there are, a lot of these soundtracks are very tied into a specific era, time period, place and time. And I think a lot of that may play into either when the movie came out or the era that it represents probably also plays into your feelings about that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, this is basically, you know, this is, this is my very specific high school place and time. Yeah. I mean, it came out when I was junior year in high school, probably it's the bands I was listening to at the time, Mm -hmm. even though the movie itself was probably set for, you know, a slightly older Generation. It was made for guys who are probably just out of college, you know, mm-hmm. early to mid twenties, maybe let's say in their mid twenties. Yeah. So I was a little bit too young for it to be targeted to me, but certainly from a musical and a soundtrack mm-hmm. standpoint. That's so funny. I was married then to my first wife and wishing I was single. <laughs> I remember thinking <laughs> thinking that movie probably was targeted toward me from an age standpoint, but not from a like a life standpoint. I was like, but maybe it should have been. Maybe it should have been. No, so it was. It's a movie that maybe wasn't targeted to me from a personal standpoint, but from a soundtrack standpoint, musically, it's right at me. Now, also, by the way, um, shout out to The World's End, by the way, the uh, Simon Pegg movie, which, if you were actually to make a movie that was closer to my musical life in my mid 20s, early to mid 20s, that got it perfectly. Mm. So that was the move, that was the movie that in retrospect, came back and sort of, you know, 10, 20 years later, looked back at what was the stuff that really kind of sounded like 1997. And it's interesting because a lot of those time and place albums, it's it's sort of, you have the, you sort of have the uh, the ability to go back, like American Graffiti, you know, you're, it's retro, it's vintage. You have the, the benefit of time to look back and say, okay, what are the songs from the 50s that held up? Yeah. One of the songs that, you know, really have stood the test of time. And you can't do that when you're trying to take a very specific snapshot of a of a time and place. I think that's I think that is a very interesting thought. And like one of those things that happens when you see a song like All Star by Smash yeah. Mouth and you're like, how is this just the most popular thing? And in <laughs> like a multitude of soundtracks. Right. Like from Mystery Men to uh, Shrek, Shrek. I'm sure it's it was featured. Howard's End, Room with a View, <laughs> right? Schindler's, Schindler's List. List, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, we both went there. Uh, March of the Penguins. It's so funny when like these ver- these very iconic songs at the time seem so big, and then you're just like you look back with them 15 yeah. years later, and you're like, oh my. They're like those Jinko pants or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Zubaz or something. <laughs> or they're now you would use All Star, but in an ironic way. Sure. If you were trying yeah, to do something about the mid 90s, it yeah. would be, it's very specifically of that era and like maybe not a great way. Yeah. Um, so, and again, Cameron Crowe, somebody who is well known for using, you know, former music journalist, somebody who, like a Tarantino or Simon Pegg or a couple of other directors who I think may come up later are very well known for integrating mm-hmm. modern music and past music into their into their movies and yeah. making them almost like another character. 
And in terms of getting sort of a, a real specific snapshot of a time and place, that grunge scene of the specifically Seattle in the early to mid 90s, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Alice in Chains, you've got Soundgarden, you've got Pearl Jam. And, and by the way, I, I think my favorite Pearl Jam song is State of Love and Trust, mm-hmm. which is on this, mm-hmm. which I know is not like a super popular song, but I just think it's a great song. Well, it was one of those that never made it onto an album. But was like a pretty. It felt like you were. It yeah. felt like you were getting something special with some of these songs. I mean, Wood wound up being a, a pretty big. Yeah, oh yeah. Success, and so did uh, uh, Nearly Lost You. You know, that's a crazy thing, and you don't see it all that often, or at least maybe I don't. Maybe I don't recognize her. I'm not paying attention. But it's like when the biggest single in the world was like from a soundtrack album that almost like will that, not happen ever that again. doesn't feel like that is like yeah, I, I like keep the thinking bodyguard of, i will always love you or something well, i'm thinking right. of like a batman forever yeah and like uh you two the you two love me thrill me kiss, kiss me, me kill me, me. Uh-huh. and the uh, or kiss from a rose kiss from a rose like those were like huge songs yeah. at the time but they weren't on any albums they were just on mm-hmm. you had to buy the batman forever soundtrack yeah. good luck to you on that and so you had all that, and it was like this mix of like the real heavy stuff. You had whatever Pearl Jam's doing. You've got, even though he wasn't from Seattle, you had Paul Westerberg, and that's why I originally was interested in the album because it was the first two songs, solo songs he did after the, mm-hmm. the replacements came out, and there are more of these kind of poppy, alternative yeah. type stuff. And then you had this couple of songs that sort of go back to Seattle's musical past. You had essentially, I think they're called the Love Mongers, but it was essentially Hart doing a cover of a Led Zeppelin song. And you had a Jimi Hendrix song in there. Yeah. So it was kind of this love letter, not just to a time, but also to a very specific place. Yeah. Um, it was like I never, I, I never didn't go to see. Uh, what, I first went to Seattle like 97, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of after everything was dying out. So I didn't have a particular affinity to that. Yeah. But being of that age at that time, you just sort of had a, an affinity to that world, even if it's, it would be almost like, I guess, being, growing up in the 60s and thinking about Liverpool oh, yeah. or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you have, or, or swinging swing in London or something like that, yeah. where you would have an affinity for it and, and a real feeling for it if you grew up in that era, even if you're a kid in the Midwest who is never going to get out there. Uh-huh. Well, cool. Cool choice. So uh, we are at our halftime, and uh, before I get to the part where I ask you to download, rate, and review all of our past episodes, I'm going to do the part where I let you know that we've got an incredible opportunity for you, the listeners of the Mount Rushmore podcast, and that's because Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their thing. And maybe you could check out Traveling Music, the soundtrack to My Life and Times by Neil Peart. That's right. Neil Peart, the lyricist. Oh, that's him. There's 300 drums on a kit right here. He is a personal. He just had, carries around with him everywhere. This that's right. Drum kit that just circles him. Um, so you can uh, download and listen to that while you walk and talk and rock and drive and garden and all that stuff, or while you practice your drums. Keep going, Neil. And Kenny Lee on the bass. No tickers. Bring it, <laughs> Okay, I knew Richard. Double double duty. With Audible, you can get a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial by going to www.audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. That's the slash that leans to the right. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, 
MP3 player, or Zune. Don't get confused and do slash rush. Slash rush. No, what we just did make it confused as rush more. Oh, not okay. rush the band. No, no. Also, no one ever wants to be Alex Lifeson. Nope, nobody. No one, nobody role plays that. Okay, uh, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash rushmore again. That's audibletrial.com <laughs> audibletrial rushmore for your free audiobook. <laughs> and, you know, if you're going to iTunes to get some soundtracks, you might as well go to the podcast part of iTunes and download to your player the past episodes of the Mount Rushmore podcast. And now that you're in there, you might as well click on some stars and type some things that say how good you like our podcast or do that in uh, Stitcher or Zipper or Zapper or whatever else. Yeah. How, how good you like our podcast, everybody. <laughs> how good you like it. Okay. How good I like these guys. I get to talk with them every week about cool stuff. And we're back and we're talking about soundtracks. And Michael's going to tell us his thoughts. Before we do that, I'm looking. You got a couple of guitars in here. Yeah. Then you also have just like an axe leaning against the wall. A lit- <laughs> axes and a literal axe. He is an axe man. What is it? Of, what an is axe this? man of many levels. What is this third axe for, my dude? <laughs> it was a Halloween costume. Remember okay, last yes, week yeah, I was yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, my yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Patrick Jason, Bateman. Patrick Bateman. There you go. Your Jason Bateman. Um, Jason, Jason Bateman, Bateman costume. <laughs> okay. All right. My but, third choice uh-huh. might be the best soundtrack of all time. I, maybe, oh, geez. possibly. 1996 is Train Spotting. That's a good one. That's oh, also wow. a very good specific place in time. It is, one. and I I think that was part of one of them that I want on my list that felt very much of the age. And you know, the, the, even though like the first song and the most iconic song from that, you know, from that album, Less like for 25 Life, 25 years old. Yeah, yeah, it just like when that song kicks into gear and. You just, it kind of leads into the Brit pop penis of that. Brit pop penis? That's a <laughs> that's your other podcast. <laughs> no, no worry. I mean, Jarvis I, Jarvis Cocker's cock. Do you, where, where do you go from there? I don't know. Uh, this was an album that was so good that they released a second version of the album as like oh shit they did they did like the train spotting train spotting or or something like that basically they're like hey you loved all the music from train spotting the album based on the movie here is the music that we couldn't fit onto the first album and that also kind of inspired yeah the more train spotting there's a few that do that that's a good sign whenever you hit the yeah we're trying to cat like they're like we're trying to cash in on the success of the soundtrack to the movie there was a an album that was like, I think Force Gump was like that, where they did, where they put out an album that they just had too much music in. Yeah. Big Chill might have been like that mm. too. Where like, they're just kind of like, okay, we know this, the soundtrack is as big a hit as the movie is. I think that's what happens too, is that they're like, oh my God, we didn't realize that the soundtrack was going to outsell this Danny Boyle movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that happened with singles, by the way. Singles was kind of a flop commercially. I mean, we can look back on it now and sort of feel good about it. I took my first date. My first date I ever had, by the way, not to hijack your story. Yeah, you just got hijacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got man Freddy jacked. Um, <laughs> Save it for penis cast. <laughs> first date I ever... Well, this, this, this will play in. First date I ever went on, I took... A, a took girl? A girl to uh, see a dinner and a movie. And uh, the movie was singles, which was great, except for that one scene where... Uh, where they're having sex and Odin Polonese comes on, or Xavier McDaniel comes on the screen from the oh, basketball yeah. game to tell him not to come yet. Yeah, that's an awkward. That's an awkward <laughs> scene for your first date. Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> please proceed. 
I, I think we're way off topic, but like I, the music in, I think a lot of the choices that I have so far, where is the music can't be kind of divested from the film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to not think about like the closing track, uh, Born Slippy, which is like this, you know, kind of, uh, kind of this club song mm-hmm. that uh, kind of finishes out the rest of, you know, his big, uh, big train spawning speech the be happy be uh i'm gonna butcher it and I, I can't think of the things that he says that at the end that uh is it don't worry be happy oh, cho- his choose life his choose yeah. yeah his choose like you know that kind of runs through it and it's interesting to see the movie go from uh you know kind of these punk this kind of this punk sort of uh influence through kind of this brit pop influence and end on this kind of club influence and it kind of almost is an evolution of the music scene in England at the time to see it kind of go through that and go through new order and go through pulp and end with like this, you know, basically club music took over by the end of the nineties and everything went to, um, uh, trance or yeah. 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 I, I, I thought about the train spotting soundtrack and I guess for me, I just didn't have a connection with that last phase of it. Mm-hmm. Like it just, I just never was into the tricky, you know that that um, that, that st- dub or what we you know that mm, style of music. me neither. But like you know, anytime you can get pulp on an album, I'm pretty happy. That was one of the uh, speaking of like uh, films that act as travelogues and soundtracks that trans help transport you to that place. That was one of the first. Was it, is it Glasgow? Or I think where where does it take place? Like that was one of those first. It's in Scotland. Scotland. Is like, like, maybe it's Edinburgh or is it Glasgow? Yeah, I, I don't feel like I, yeah, it's Edinburgh because they had the the. The, um, the last scene they play at the Fringe Festival. The Fringe Festival, yeah. That was one of those things that's very, the music does help transport you, like, for, because you can't be in all these places, Seattle. That's and, true. And uh, mm. that, that, I remember feeling like, oh, I kind of got a little bit of an insight on what that culture is going to be. So that was a cool, evocative choice. Richard, what's your third? Another place you can't be, Liverpool, as we discussed. Oh, wow. And I went, in terms of all the, I had several Beatles choices, obviously, mm. to go with. I went with Hard Day's Night. Oh wow! And, and look, "Help" is the best collection of Beatles songs on any of their soundtracks. I, I actually won't hard to argue that. But I think "Help" is also less of a actual movie itself. Yeah, like it's more just a collection of Beatles Vignettes. music yeah. videos, basically. Yeah. And it's a genre parody too. Somewhat. Yeah, there's genre parody. There's not really a plot that kind of works mm-hmm. at all. It's just sort of like, hey, the Beatles are skiing. Yeah. Now they're in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. It, it's more like a Ruddles movie than it is like a Beatles movie. Mm-hmm. But Hard Day's Night's a much better movie. And I think that music is a perfect reflection of what that band was sort of like in that very specific era. It was kind of when they were at their most charming. Yeah. Their most chased around. Their most uh, almost raw is not quite the right word, but like they were... They hadn't been. They, they hadn't quite gotten jaded yet. Or they hadn't quite gotten good enough yet. No, <laughs> well, they I, hadn't gotten LSD yet. I think or Dylan yet. Or Dylan yet. Yeah. Well, I think what happens is if you look at Help, musically that winds up being the link to I don't know, if you want to call it like the golden era of the Beatles, like the classic classic. You know, that's sort of the, musically that's where they're getting into Dylan and getting into Smoking Pot and all this stuff, and it winds up being the link to like Revolver and Rubber Soul. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at Hard Day's Night, that's really like a transition point away from like the first few albums that were all these very like, like you said, more raw, 
almost garage bandy, you know, a lot of cover songs. You know, a lot of songs are covers of either like soul songs yeah. and rhythm and blues. And they're starting to create their own musical language that's not necessarily based yeah. on just on the it's not based on Chuck Berry. It's just not Motown. Yeah, not just trying to recreate songs that they love. It's actually them trying to create something new. A new sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you l- listen to like a, a lot of those songs on the Hard Day's Night album, you can draw a through line between that and like the Birds or any of these other folk rock, you know, the band. A lot of these other folk rock groups that kind of came from, came out in the mid-60s. I mean, George Harrison, I, I don't know if that's the first time like someone played a 12-string guitar in a kind of a, a rock setting. Mm-hmm. But certainly that kind of sound he was getting from it, you look at the birds and like Roger McGuinn. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty linear to see where they got that idea from. I love the, I love this film, and I love how... I love the fact that there's a lot of ballads, and there's a lot of... There's a few ballads, but there's mostly high-energy love songs, and there's no love story per se in that the the guys are kind of carted from a car to a bus to a plane to a car to a train to a this to that right and then women are these part of this tapestry that, that they're in the background them. they're in the background but there's always these great love songs i want to be your man i should have known better um, well the, if i fell well the the best musical sequence from that is actually this boy with this, yeah, with Ringo kicking, with Ringo kicking rock, <laughs> kicking rocks around yeah. the, uh, the 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 river or whatever, because yeah. he's bummed out because he doesn't think he's worth yeah. as much as. Which of course wound up being like this recurring thing with the actual Beatles yeah. throughout the rest of their career. But it's just this great little scene of, of Ringo like like acting like seeming like a ten year old kid like skipping mm-hmm. rocks and feeling bad for himself. Yeah, and even though the song isn't about that at all, it works really really well together. Yeah, this boy is one of those songs that you only hear on like Breakfast with the Beatles when you're oh, yeah. when you're driving up to like Thanksgiving dinner or the Beatles. And, now the Beatles yeah. at Sirius. Yeah. Well, you know, if, Ring, if Ringo's singing it, then it wasn't their favorite song. Well, so, no, Ringo wasn't. Let's sing- give this one to Ringo. No, he wasn't singing that though. What's that? He wasn't singing. Oh, that. oh, sorry. It was, it's, it's it's called it's slated as Ringo's theme, <laughs> which is the interesting part that yeah. he, they didn't even let him sing his own theme. Yeah, that's so funny. Okay, uh, that's, it, that's that's how he was referred to. They'd say John and Paul and George and this boy and this boy, <laughs> this this boy right here with a big the pick on a nose and the new guy, the new guy. Uh, Michael, your fourth is what? My last from 1999. This I don't think this is the best. one. This I is the single best it. soundtrack. Of how could all it be time. possible? <laughs> I know I said the last three were, but this one actually is, and it's the Rushmore soundtrack. Okay, all I would right. I would be remiss to not talk about this given. Uh, the name of our show. I figured someone. I figured you were going to take. Uh, what I love about this soundtrack is the way the music is used in the film to lead from one scene to another, where a song will start playing at the end, the tail end of a scene, and it's like this transition that leads you into whatever's yeah. happening next. It, like the music is constantly bridging one scene to the other uh, on like these big important transition. Uh, these big important. Mm-hmm. Trans transitions, yeah, not transactions, transitions, um, and the music, like the just the, and the way that the album comes out, it feels very much like that. They're kind of split up with like these little Mark Mothersbaugh, like little instrumental, tinkly yeah. instrumental things, yeah. things baroque that, vignettes that that almost feel like uh, the, the way it was in uh, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, where like these little things that that lead into the more important mm-hmm. 
big song by the who or the big song by the kinks like these little like tinkly little things that like all of a sudden the music kicks in and you're like oh this is it also has dialogue from the uh movie sprinkled in too does it yes because when we were making our mixtape for the mount rushmore players kickball team i had to kind of work either work those into the mixtape or cut them out I don't remember that. Yeah, the best play ever, man. No, no, that part is very specifically. Uh, there are some, I mean, there are just some songs. I, originally, he just wanted to do apparently all, kink all kinks music, and then I guess that kind of fell away just in the production of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, this if, if there is an album that I, not even like a desert island album. If there is an album that I could only listen to one album, that'd be that's, it. That's it. It's it's this one. I. Uh... I'm glad you did this. I kind of didn't. Hold, I held off on a Wes Anderson one because of that. Um, you really can't go wrong with. He is somebody who makes soundtrack albums for music nerds. Yeah. Very much, yeah. I think. And a very specific type of music nerd that I think I am, which is someone who has an appreciation for stuff from like the this very kind of 60s you know, British invasion, but not necessarily the who or not necessarily the Beatles or the Stones necessarily, but maybe some of the other fringier bands that were of that era. So like, you know Chad and Jeremy. Chad and Jeremy or the, Stevens. Uh, the creation mm-hmm. or Unit Four Plus Two. Some of this like kind of more obscure, sort of weird stuff. Um he was kinda of able to find like the best song of theirs and insert them into just the right places. That's yeah. What she said. <laughs> and a quick one while while he's away. The the, the use of that in the montage mm-hmm. of, I think we discussed in our Rushmore of Rushmore uh, episode that we did, God knows how long ago. But that's... Uh, number 25. This is number 25. Yeah. That's about as good of a of a musical montage as you could possibly have. But you could you, you could have picked... Look, you could have picked uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. You, you could have... It's good. It's not as good as this one. Though. Yeah, you could. Well, I, I guess that's your opinion, man. <laughs> you, Whoa, guys! You could have picked, you know, uh, Life Aquatic, if only for the fact that you've got Shao George um, doing uh, Bossa Nova versions of Bowie songs, Bowie songs. When half the time he isn't actually singing the right lyrics, and they didn't realize this until like the movie was two thirds <laughs> done, and and they said something about like, "Are you sure that's the right translation?" And he said, "What do you mean translation?" Like, he was just putting his own... Oh. He thought the idea was that he would put his own lyrics yeah. and sing them in Portuguese to the tune of yeah. these Bowie songs. And eventually... It's a West store, man. It's about a guy who works at a store. <laughs> right. <laughs> store man waiting for a clerk. And, and, but eventually, Wes Anderson kind of was like, you know what? That's fine. That's that actually fine. works. <laughs> we're, we're good. But you could have picked any of those. I mean, Rushmore's great. I, I love it, too. There's no... I have no problem with that pick. My point is just Wes Anderson is someone consistently... He's, he's he's good at he's good at choosing music for his movies. He thinks about I don't know if he writes I know Tarantino will write song or write scenes with a specific song in mind. Mm. And I think Anderson Wes Anderson does that sometimes. Like if I like from Tenenbaums, I think the scene where Richie tries to kill himself is was specifically written for, for Needle, Needle and Hay. Hay. And you know, in, and it's a very tough thing to do, you know. Not everyone can be Scorsese. Everyone wants to be Scorsese mm. and like have the exact perfect hip, cool, but not something that's familiar, not on the nose sort of song. And that was something like in the 90s, man. You just had so many artists 
Yeah, man. I think those what characters. There? But but you had in the nineties. You had so many after Tarantino. You had so many uh, directors who wanted to try and do that with music. You know, wanted to try to make music. Oh well, do what Tarantino did. We'll come up with a soundtrack that's. I'm guessing does the, that same I'm, thing. I'm guessing the Get Shorty soundtrack is very similar. Oh yeah, but I have no idea what's on the Get or Shorty the mo- soundtrack. The movie Go. I feel like that was probably something that was similar to that as well, but. Anderson's able, Wes Anderson's able to do it very organically, and the music all feels like it fits within whatever the mood or the theme is. I think the music is the music that Max Fisher would listen to. That, I, yeah, I, it's good. Unlike the, so I, I think Anderson picks deep cuts from some artists or maybe not their most popular song to help portray the inner life of the character. I felt like the songs from Rushmore were toward to portray the institution of Rushmore. And it had hmm. this, for me, it had this very European boarding school kind of feel to it, even though it was not yeah. in Europe. Right. And some of that stuff, that kind of angry young British, angry young men music, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> felt like it supported that. But um, until the last character, last song that uh, I wish I knew then. Oh, the Faces. The, yeah, uh, the Faces song. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh la la. So uh, we've, we've heard the first out of the album, album. We flipped it. We're coming to the last track. We're our last track, man. So this one, I went a little bit off the beaten path here. Let's see if Michael blows a gasket. Um, I I went with the soundtrack album, the The Power and the Glory, which is the collection of NFL Films music. Wow, bizarre. Okay. Oh, damn it! I, was hoping... I mean, I I I don't know anything from any of this, yes, so you do. I can't. Be... Bum 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 bum. Yeah, you know something. Bum bum bum. Soldiers Exactly. You you. Here's the thing. Even if you are only passing, like Jeff is only probably at best a passing at best knowledge of football, and it's not even a pass. It's like a lateral. Yeah. I, <laughs> I no. I I understand like. 60s and 70s like NFL music but like if you said that's the what power, this is that's yeah. what that was I mean uh, no, I, that just happened to be the name of what they, when they came Unitas. out with the soundtrack yes. yeah no, I, I get that I, I'm like I this is because it's television you, you could name like 20 different things that were on there or not on there and I wouldn't know what was on there or not on there if you play but if I played the song fanfare would, for a chance no, you would absolutely know what it was no I get it when I, no, I, I got you I got what you're doing so um, anyway Sam Spence was Sam Spence was hired in 1966 to make these because NFL films had just started. It was like literally out of you know, Ed and Steve Sable's like garage or some mm-hmm. shit like that, where they basically NFL said, "Yeah, you want to make some like movies about the games? Sure, go All ahead, right. knock yourself out, kids." And so they hired John Facinda as the voice, <laughs> the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. I love where you're going right now. Man. <laughs> they, they hired him to do this, and they hired Sam Spence to do the music. And it just, it just, everything made it feel larger than life, right? Mm-hmm. When you're watching those, like you said, 60s and 70s NFL films, it's just different than any way sports or football had been presented before. I think what's interesting about them, too, is if you ever see them, they're all, you know, obviously the production is, they're all kind of grainy. Yeah. And they're all giant men running into each other. And they're all slowed down enough that you know it's not real life. And it all feels like more menu, more monumental than what's actually happening. Yeah. It's like watching like waves crash on a beach but in slow motion. But then with this tremendous music. Oh, like, it's getting hot in and here. And this bombast over it. Yeah, it's what you would picture like yeah. you know, a gladiator film. You like gladiator yeah. films, Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> it's what you would picture that sort of like depth of 
grandeur. I and thought like the to, look too reminded me of uh, um, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, where oh, a, yeah, a lion is chasing down a gazelle to devour it. It is definitely presented <laughs> as a life or death thing, yeah. and what we know about concussions now probably kind of was, but yeah. not just it's something more than just like a baseball game, where or mm-hmm. where if you go to the baseball game, it's like. You know, if you watch a movie about that, it's all kind of like very upbeat and da da da. Mm. Or even the way football. I want to. I want to ask you an, yeah. an honest question. You have to answer honestly. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And if you don't, what size is your dick? <laughs> uh, my question is not that. My question is: Would you listen to this outside of watching? Or no? Yes, yes, have, I would. And have you? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes, I have. Why is that pertinent? I don't know. I, it, 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 it because, would be... because we're talking about soundtrack albums. We're no, not no, talking I think about the soundtracks question. to movies. Okay. We're talking about things that, like, okay. in theory, you're going to go buy an album of this and listen to it or, you know, okay. whatever. That, that, that's, I guess, I'm not saying it's not important to mm-hmm. the production and to the actual yeah. thing that's that's on there. My question is whether, like, you would actually sit down and say, like, oh, I can't wait to put on the Raiders. Well, uh, so two answers to that. Directly. Fuck e- and you. <laughs> Well, I, you know, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, that's a good, good answer. Comeback. <laughs> I, I, I believe I let Jeff speak for me though. Like I know, My I know that the, the no, no, no. Trust. Your, no, I, your musical tastes definitely vary wildly from mine at times. You know, we've rehashed the John Zorn thing over and over. Oh yeah. John Zorn had a soundtrack album. Oh, oh fuck. Shit. No, I didn't. But like NFL this, films presents John Zorn. <laughs> like, Concussion oh, syndrome. Like I definitely have owned like, you know, the soundtrack to Star Wars and all of those. And that was my point. Yeah. I I, 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 I was just curious about like whether this one is actually something that you sit down and been like time to time to put on the old NFL classics. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. And I have, and I think it's very similar to that. I, I would almost say, look, I don't know if John Williams knows anything about football, has ever seen an NFL films, you know, movie before or anything like that. I don't know if he has any familiarity with the music. But I think in terms of that kind of style of music and the type of grandeur that John Williams brings to his songs that he does when he does soundtracks, like you can pick out a John Williams soundtrack song mm-hmm. pretty clearly, and usually it's because it makes things sort of larger than life and brings a real sort of, you know, epic scale to it. And I think in in their own way, that's what these NFL film songs also accomplish, right? So I I, I actually see some similarities between, you know, a John sitting someone sitting down saying, "Bro, I love Jurassic Park," and I can go ahead and listen. I can listen to the soundtrack of Jurassic Park by itself. Yes, partially it's because if you listen to Jurassic Park, the soundtrack by yourself, it's also evoking some of the scenes from the movie. Like, you're more likely to listen to it if you've seen the movie versus if you've never seen it, right? And you're going to get more out of it. And that's partially what we're talking about, I think. Yes, these songs, track albums, generally have to stand up on their own. But I think the best ones stand up on their own and also accomplish whatever it is that the filmmakers are setting out to accomplish. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think just the timelessness, I, I, my Sarah knows a lot of these songs and she is probably about as much of a football fan as you are, but like they're in pop. They're, they're, they're so embedded into popular mm-hmm. culture now. You know, I, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends from high school wound up working on a series of ads about 10 years ago. Do you remember the Burger King ads where they would superimpose, they would have like classic football plays or recent mm-hmm. football plays and they would have like the NFL films footage of it. And then they'd have the giant Burger King weird king guy 
Like instead of Steve Young, it's him like running oh, around yeah. the field. And they would, and and he worked on that as a, a kind of I think he was a motion cap guy. But what made that work was the fact that it was set to these like classic yeah. like yeah. NFL films. As like Steve Young's like stumbling around trying to make a touchdown, so it's there. It's there's a I guess it's it's soundtrack music that has become so embedded in our popular culture that it's as as much as like this John Williams do do yeah do and they both kind of interesting also they both I think gained a bit of a reputation for let's say having homages okay to other composers' works Mm -hmm. in their songs okay yeah. So, but full on ripoffs, yeah. Oh, I you said that, not me, Lawrence, okay. <laughs> I was Jeff Hopkins said that, but I, I would just think, I just think overall, I mean, it's very specific, unique music. Yes, I would listen to it on its own, but also it very much evokes a certain affinity for me for watching these those old NFL films, football follies, whatever type stuff. Yeah. Cool, awesome choice. Um, you know, I think this is all kind of uh, academic because we haven't heard the Murder on the Orient Express soundtrack yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I bet that's going to be good. Okay, uh, so guys, thanks so much for putting your heart and soul and soil into this. Heart uh, um, and soul. Because that was such a fun category because it crosses over all these different things that we talk about all the time on the podcast, which is like music and film and stuff like that. So um, it's really hard for me to make a choice because I felt like you guys covered a lot of the same territory, like uh, soundtracks that are used to move plot forward and create uh, cohesiveness between scenes in a film, but also things that uh, score elements and songs that are used to show the inner thoughts and life of a character, or, or in some case, make characters where they weren't. In football at that time, um, football wasn't hadn't been around that long, hadn't been lauded as America's sport, and that score that was written for the NFL films gave so much... Um, Gave so much story and drama to something that hadn't really been treated as drama yet, which is sports. So I'm going to pick that one to start off with because it was a risk. You took it and you nailed it. The Power and the Glory NFL Films Collection. There's the sound effect. And um, since I love this movie, uh, I'm going to pick A Hard Day's Night. Richard, you get a point there because that's one of my favorite movies. I put it on when I'm feeling blue. Uh but I definitely agree with Michael on both uh, Pulp Fiction and Rushmore. I, Spinal Tap's amazing, but you're going to get points each for Pulp Fiction and Rushmore because they both did a great job of giving a, an additional layer to the cake that the filmmaker had been baking um, and giving it a whole the film a whole other life that transported it above just a re- regular story. So, so this has been the Mount Rushmore of soundtracks. Uh, Guys, the record's over. We're getting to the end. Uh, I've been Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael.